The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And that's right, everybody. Hour 2, Sports Talk 1240. Thanks for sticking around on this cold Sunday night here on Long Island. As it's uh, now just 5 after 9 here on uh, January 24th, 2021. And uh, Sports Talk to, uh, New York coming at you right here at WGBB Sports. Uh, don't forget that uh, you can follow us at, uh, at WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter. Check us out. You can follow me at Kramer New York on Twitter, and you can follow our next go a uh, uh, guest at Tim B Healy on Twitter if you want to know all your Met stuff. And uh, with that, I'd like to welcome him to the program tonight. Tim, how are you doing tonight? I am excellent, thank you. How are you? Uh, very well, very well, thank you. Just uh, getting my fill of football today. Have you been checking out any of the games? Oh, I, 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 I as a New Englander natively, I watched the Buccaneers and Tom Brady very closely today. So. Uh... It's been a football day for sure. <laughs> so are you rooting for Brady as a New Englander? Yeah, I, I am. I am, I'll be honest. I, I have no I, – maybe I should have bad feelings, but I just can't <laughs> find it in me to be angry about it. So I've, I've enjoyed this playoff on Kansas Bay. Good for them. Good for them. I agree. I agree. Especially Brady's given you guys so much joy over the years. If he could get one last one with Tampa Bay, I'd be rooting for him too. There you go, exactly. And, and and I'm a Jets fan, and I have no animosity towards <laughs> Tom Brady at all. So let's. <laughs> wow, that, that probably probably leaves you in the minority. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I definitely catch a lot of flack from my Jet fan friends for it, but you know, I'm one of those. I, I just can't hate greatness, you know. So especially Understood. with Brady, one of the best of all time. But um, you know, I I just like to uh, thank you for for joining me here tonight. I'm a big fan of your work. Happy to. Um, thank you. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I'm sure being a Mets beat writer. There's there's never a dull moment, <laughs> you know. We, Definitely not. There seems to always be something popping up for this team. I mean, um, you know, we had all these shenanigans over the last few years with the Wilpons, and uh, you know, there's always something going on that fans were complaining about. And we thought that we got this uh, this shining light in Stevie Cohen that came here, and I think he's definitely done a really great job of putting a new face on this team and everything. But then, unfortunately. It seems like the Mets are uh, snake bitten again as they have to let go of Jared Porter after this pitcher's controversy and everything like that pops up. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the Mets handled the Jared Porter controversy and uh, with how, how quickly they dealt with it and got rid of him? I thought they handled it well. Uh, there really was only one decision to make. It was an easy decision. Absolutely. They made it quickly and they fired him, right? As soon as that story came out from ESPN late Monday night last week. He, he was cooked. There was no way they could possibly keep him, especially in the context of Steve Cohen has faced some sex discrimination stuff in his hedge fund. Their, their former employee is, uh, you know, litigating that right now. So um, the Mets had no choice but to fire Jared Porter, and they did it quickly. And Sandy Alderson did his news conference a few hours later, and he said, Basically all the right things, I think, uh, you know, in a bad situation like that. So, uh, Mets-wise, it's over and done with. I think if you're the Cubs, who employed Jared Porter at the time he 
conducted himself this way, or if you're the Diamondbacks, perhaps, who hired him a couple of months later, then maybe you're doing a little more soul-searching about um, your culture and mm-hmm. things like that. Absolutely. Uh, but Mets-wise, you know, maybe from here on out, they improve their vetting process in some way. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, that, that, that'll be a, another bridge to cross when they eventually make another big hire, which they are not going to do right now. Okay, well, that was one of my next questions. So you think the Mets are just going to stay pat? Do you think that, that that Sandy is taking on the brunt of the GM responsibilities right now? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the, the, the way it's uh, going to work. Uh, you know, Sandy Alderson signed up to be team president, which in effect replaced is the job that Jeff Wilpon had previously. Mm-hmm. And the plan was for Sandy to hire a president of baseball operations to work under him and then a general manager to work under both of them. So he's going to have two top baseball executives, uh, and now he has neither of those <laughs> things. So Sandy is stuck doing the job that he didn't exactly sign up for when he agreed to join Steve Cohen in this endeavor. Um, but that's the job he has now. Zach Scott, who was hired as assistant GM the week after the Mets hired Porter, he is in Sandy's inner circle. Um, so he's, you know, he has the assistant GM title, but safe to say he'll be taking on some extra responsibility now that there's no actual GM. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, now they're going to run it this way for the 2021 season. But do you see, I mean, I know a lot of Met fans are very hopeful, and even before they hired uh, Jared Porter, there was a lot of whispers about Theo uh, Epstein. Now, do you think that maybe uh, with Porter being out, do you think if they, you know, I know Epstein had spoken about wanting to take 21 off for to be with his family and spend some time and self-reflection and everything along those lines. But do you think maybe in uh, October 2021, after this season closes uh, and the Mets are looking for new front office personnel, do you think that there's a chance Theo Epstein uh, gets a, a call from the Mets? I think there is close to 0% chance that Theo Epstein comes to work for the Mets. And, uh, you know, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun to cover as a reporter. I think it would be great for Mets fans if that did happen. But that just it just doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theo said he wants to take 2021 off. He just got hired by the commissioner's office, so he's going to be working for MLB um, for the next year at least. You know, I guess they'll see how that role develops over the course of time. Um, but if and if Theo does get back into the team side of things, the expectation is that he'll want a cut of ownership. And I don't think Steve Cohen is interested in giving up any piece of the team that he just worked so hard to buy. Um, and then the other thing, too, is that Theo and Sandy are basically peers on the same level, right? Theo mm-hmm. uh, ran the show in Chicago the way Sandy does for the Mets. And for Theo to then take a job with the Mets that's basically less than the job that he had with the Cubs would just be it, – it, it's, it's kind of a step backwards for him. Um, so while I think every team's goal should be to hire Theo Epstein, um, I don't see it happening for the Mets. Never mind the fact that when Jared Porter, you know, was harassing that, Jared Porter was harassing the reporter, uh, a few years ago, 
he was working under Theo Epstein. So mm-hmm. as MLB investigates Jared Porter, uh, you know, perhaps we'll learn more about who knew and who did not know with the Cubs back then. Very true, very true, and that does kind of reflect poorly on uh, Theo Epstein and the ship that he was running there um, in Chicago at the time. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I totally agree with you that uh, that it would be a long shot, to say the least, <laughs> for, for Theo coming to New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, to to get on the, on the field side, they before Porter was dismissed, they pulled off this uh, Francisco Lindor trade. They picked up Lindor and Carrasco. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this trade? And um, like, I know a lot of fans have, especially now. I can't believe it. I'm actually seeing mixed feelings on Twitter because a, a, a lot of people wanted Springer. And to be honest, if I had to choose, I'd choose Lindor over Springer. But what are your thoughts about that? Uh, Lindor over Springer, absolutely, no doubt, easy, easy answer. Even though Lindor will probably get twice the contract that Springer got from the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Um, Springer's a perfectly good player. You know, I've, I've been a fan of his since he was at UConn, uh, you know, and coming out of the draft in 2011 when he went to the Astros in the first round. So, you know, I, I don't really have anything bad to say about George Springer, but Francisco Lindor, the player's just on a different level. Yeah. Um, the trade, along with Carlos Carrasco to the Mets this month, was a, a gigantic one. Uh, you know, it, it's right up there with Johan Santana, Mike Piazza, Gary Carter, Keith Hernandez. It, it's that level. No doubt about and it. And if and when the Mets sign Lindor to an extension, which, you know, it's no sure thing, but I'm pretty confident that that's going to happen. Um, if he continues the progression in his career that he, that he's had over the first six or seven years, then you're talking about a guy who might be going into the Hall of Fame with a Mets hat. That's how big of a trade it is for the Mets, and that's how good of a player Francisco Lindor is. Um, you know, never mind the fact that the Mets didn't have to give up all too much to get them. And Carlos Carrasco, who is the definite second piece in the trade, and don't sleep on, don't sleep on him either. He's the exact kind of starter the Mets needed to add to the top or middle of their rotation. Um, you know, alongside Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman. So two really good pieces there, and then one of the best players in all of baseball in Lindor. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of the things that people always talk about is culture and the yeah. culture of the clubhouse, the culture of this, the culture of that. And now you're bringing in two guys that coming from a winning culture, they're coming from one of the best managers in baseball in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Terry Francona, and – when you're looking at uh, two guys like, you know, Lindor is known for that smile and that infectious happiness that he brings to a clubhouse. And then you see a guy like Carlos Carrasco, who the entire clubhouse has to respect for his battle with illness and coming back and winning uh, comeback player of the year and how he performed this season. Um, you know, those are two guys that can come in and immediately step into leadership roles in this clubhouse. And I think that's going to have a uh, very positive impact on this team. Yeah, I agree with that. Sandy's talked a big game the last couple of months about hiring good people and building a good culture and all those sort of corporate buzzwords that you hear. And if Sandy, if, if they are more than buzzwords for the Mets, um, then that involves doing things like firing Jared Porter very quickly when you learn about that sort of thing. And it means adding players who are not only talented on the field, but uh, are good people off of the field. And, you know, obviously Carlos Carrasco is a very impressive person fighting cancer and not, not only fighting cancer, but beating cancer and 
returning to pitch in the same season. So, yes. uh, and you mentioned it with Lindor too. I, I've heard a lot of good things about him and just his demeanor, his personality, his just the way he conducts himself around the team and in the community. So, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's sports winning matters most, but it is good too to have good people in the clubhouse. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I think the Mets are doing a good job of uh, keeping those good people in, in-house. And, you know, you, you you mentioned the Porter thing again, and I just want to touch on that real quick, where how do you feel? Do, do you think that um, that Steve Cohen set a, like, he, he really set the course of how this organization is going to handle things and really set a precedence for if anything like that happens under my watch, you know, we're, we're not going to have any tolerance for that. And I feel like... You know, I don't want to throw the Wilpons under the bus because I know a lot of Met fans take pleasure in doing that. But I feel like I don't know if it would have been handled as quickly or as properly if they were still calling the shots. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I, I thought about that too, and the the juxtaposition was stark because, and, and there are completely different situations, but you can't help but compare them. Last year, when they were deciding whether or not to fire Carlos Beltran. Mm-hmm. were being attached so closely to one of the biggest cheating scandals in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took, what, four days to decide what to do with that um, and eventually parted ways with him, whereas this one was more black and white and the Mets made the easy decision very quickly, so they do get credit. Um, you know, I, I guess it sends a message to the rest of the organization that you can't act that way and expect to be able to work for the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, maybe I'm giving people too much credit, but I would hope that that's already known, that, <laughs> you know, that, that that's not an okay thing to do. Um, and if you do do that, you're putting your reputation and your job and other things at risk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you'd, you'd like to think that people just kind of would understand, uh, you know, be, between – the things you should do and things you shouldn't do, especially as an right. adult. But you know, uh, you know, so some things fall through the cracks for some people, I guess. <laughs> but uh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just don't act like a psycho. You'll probably be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree, and it, it's good to see the Mets finally, you know, get, getting credit for for handling something the, the proper way. To be honest, <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah. I, I think, yeah. like you said, uh, we all knew what had to be done. And, um, For sure. yeah. you know, um, so just to, to keep looking at the Mets here, I know th- they just pulled off a trade a couple of days ago for lefty Joey Lucchese coming from um, the San Diego Padres. Now, you know, the Mets have a, you know, decent starting rotation now. Where we mentioned Carrasco. They got uh, Syndergaard coming out of uh, rehab for Tommy John surgery. Obviously, the lock is Jacob deGrom and uh, Stroman coming back at uh, just under 19 mil. Um, so how do you think the back end of this rotation looks? Do, do you think that Steven Matz is uh, really fighting tooth and nail? Do you think who, who do you think has the leg up between these two at, at the back end of this rotation? Steven Matz is definitely a question mark right now. And whatever his role ends up being, he's probably going to have to earn it, right? At the top of the rotation, it's pretty easy to pencil in. DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman. Then probably David Peterson. You know, he had a solid rookie year last year. You probably want to see more from him in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then that leaves Stephen Matz, Joey Lucchese, who came over from the Padres last week, as you mentioned. Um, maybe Seth Lugo, if they decide on that, but it really sounds like he's going to be a reliever, which 
is prop the Mets are probably better off leaving him in the bullpen. I agree. But if it's a matter if it's a matter of Steven Matt versus Joey Lucchese for the fifth starter role, then that sounds like a good old fashioned spring training job competition to me. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I th- those are those can be fun, of course, watching the guys go at it uh, grapefruit league season. But um, notably, Matt has dabbled in the bullpen in a couple of years. It's only been a small handful of outings total, but it's something the Mets have gotten a look at. Um, they don't currently have a left-hander locked into their bullpen, so he's theoretically an option. And Lucchese does not have to be in the major on the major league roster. He has minor league options left. They can stash him at AAA, uh, AAA Syracuse, excuse me, if they need or want to. So there's flexibility there. That, that was part of the appeal of Lucchese, um, because they don't have to carry him. He, he is good, solid starter depth, right? Let, let, let's say Matt wins the fifth starter job and Lucchese starts out not in the rotation. Lucchese would be your next man up. Mm-hmm. And any starts that he gets are starts that, uh, you know, Corey Aldwalt would have gotten or in mm-hmm. the, the past Walker Lockett would have gotten, right? That's sort of the upgrade. You know, it's it's not a huge attention grabbing trade or upgrade, but it it matters. And the Mets the last couple of years really lacked that depth and got a lot of innings from pitchers who probably didn't belong. And so now they're going to try to do less of that, which will just uh, make them better overall. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, you know that, that's kind of like one of the mission statements that Sandy said right out of the gate when he was first introduced as team president, um, that, you know, he really wanted to upgrade the the depth of this team as a whole. And uh, I think that's one of the things that a lot of Met fans uh, complain about over the years because, you know, you see on the other side of town, the Yankees, when they have injuries, boy, they just plug guys in like a Luke Voigt and he becomes a home run, you know, threat. And, you, you know, they have all these guys that they just pull out of seemingly nowhere yeah. that just come up big for them. And the Mets really don't have that. I think maybe the only comparisons maybe a guy like McNeil who you really wouldn't have bet on and just right. really came on the scene as a, a big time player but I mean other than that their depth really hasn't been there outside of their top tier talent so it's good to see them starting to add to the ranks a little bit yeah you know, t- t- totally totally agreed uh, w- when you think about the Mets and what they might be under Steve Cohen and, and the idea is they're going to be this big market big payroll lots of talent Yankees Dodgers those are the, the models Part of what makes the Yankees and Dodgers so successful is finding players like Luke Voigt, for example, who was pretty much a nobody in St. Louis, came over in a minor trade, and then he led the league in home runs last year. Yeah. Or, or for the Dodgers, they picked up Max Muncy, who was also a scrub, and then he turns into a multi-position all-star. Or Kike Hernandez, who plays a million positions and now is a free agent, cashed in with the Red Sox, but was a terrific player for the Dodgers for a bunch of years. So, you know, as much as Lindors, the Lindors of the world, are going to, you know, lead the way uh, in re- media coverage, in statistics, all of those things, being able to identify undervalued players elsewhere is very important. And the Mets are going to have to do that, find some diamonds in the rough, so to speak, uh, if they want to be the kind of team that they want to be. Yeah, you know, one of those guys that I was really intrigued by, too, that 
what it was I, th- I think he was the first actual signing uh that the Mets made in the official Steve Cohen era uh was Sam McWilliams and yeah. I really didn't know much about him but the more I looked into him after I heard about this signing I was very I was thrilled just to see that they were going out and you know it it might have been a little bit of a high guarantee they gave him but it's worth it especially if you're a team like the Mets now that are playing in the deeper end of the pool yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sam Williams was a super interesting signing, and you're right that he's a, a good answer to a trivia question. <laughs> Who was the first player to receive and then sign a major league contract from the Steve Cohen Mets? It's Sam Williams, who is a complete unknown to most people. He has never pitched in the majors, despite having received a major league contract from the Mets in November. Um, but he is a big dude. He's done a lot of data-driven work to try to get the most out of his body and his ability, and he throws hard. Upper 90s, touches 100. It sounds like the Mets are going to look at him as a reliever, even though he has mostly been a starter in the Rays organization in the past. So um, that's you're exactly right. That's a great example of what the Mets should be trying to do in finding these virtual unknown players who maybe can become big-time contributors. You know, only time will tell if Sam McWilliams is one of those, but uh, he sounds interesting enough that it's worth a shot. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, even if they go out and sign, you know, 10 guys like Sam Mc, you know, McWilliams, if two or three of those guys hit, then you're happy, you know. it's a, yeah. that, that makes a big difference in, in your depth and potentially in the future on your major league roster. Yep, yep, and if, if they find 10, 10 of those guys and two or three hit, that's a massive, massive difference. Um, it can make all the difference between a, an okay team and a playoff team or a playoff team and a legit championship contender. So um, that's the sort of stuff I, I'll expect them to be continuing to do more of indefinitely and just on a on a regular basis, constant basis, just looking out for those sorts of additions. Absolutely, and, and Tim, you know, I want to thank you so much for taking time on, uh, you know, on your Sunday night during Championship Sunday to talk a little baseball with me here. But before I let you go, I just want your answer on two Mets things real quick. Uh, do you think that uh, the Mets go after Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field and Brad Hand uh, in, in the bullpen? What, do you think both those guys are realistic, and, uh, you know, do, do you think they get done? Uh, Bradley is absolutely an option. Um, I don't know what he's looking at price-wise or what his market is exactly, but the Mets need a center fielder. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a very good center fielder. Yes, he's left-handed, just like a bunch of the other Mets hitters, so maybe that's not ideal. But defensive defense is the biggest uh, piece of the center field equation for the Mets. If you can sign a good defensive center fielder, and then move Nimmo to left where he'll be good defensively, then that's upgrading in two positions. And then, you know, let the center fielder hit ninth. You know, what does it really matter that much? Mm-hmm. The Mets should have a pretty good lineup. Um, so whether or not it's Bradley or somebody else, I expect a good defensive center fielder. Uh, and then Brad Hand would have been a good addition for the Mets, I thought. I was on that bandwagon all, all offseason. But uh, it looks like he's signing with the Nationals, according to a few prominent national reporters tonight. So, uh you know, the Mets won't have Brad Hand, but it sounds like they'll see plenty of him in 2021. Oh, okay, okay. I must have missed that when I was uh, coming in tonight. That's good to know, though. The, the you know the Nationals they're making some moves this year, picking up uh, you know uh, the uh, the Pirates' first baseman at first base. So 
that's a uh, it's, it's definitely a team that is reloading instead of uh, trying to rebuild. Yep, it's going to be a heck of a tough division again for the Mets and the NL East. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, Tim, thanks again. But before I let you go, who's your Super Bowl pick? And uh, I'll I'll try not to hold it against you if you pick Brady. <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'm going to pick the Bucks over whoever comes out of this game, probably the Chiefs. <laughs> okay, okay, I totally get that. You you can't go wrong picking the greatest of all time. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, thanks again, Tim, for spending a few minutes here to us tonight, and uh, have a great week. And I can't wait to, to read everything you've got coming at us in 2021. Thank you, appreciate it. All right, have a good one. All right. That's uh, Tim Healy. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tim B Healy. Uh, just a uh, one of the uh, great Mets beat writers out there. It's a guy uh, you can follow for all your Mets info and uh, everything else like that. So thanks again, ladies and gentlemen, for sticking with me here on Sunday night as uh, we've had three great interviews here tonight. So if you've missed anything, don't forget to check out our podcast versions uh, on Stitcher and Apple and Spotify and everywhere else you can get podcasts. So check those out. Uh, I'll be up in the, the last half hour, the last leg of, of Sports Talk New York right here, and I'll check you out right on the other side of this break. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit Gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen. The final half hour. Of Sports Talk 1240 right now as you're li- as you're listening to me Rob Kramer on this 20 this two hour block right now eight to ten thanks for riding in that, out and sticking with me here as uh, three really great guests that we've had uh, we, we kicked off the show if you didn't hear you can go back and check it out um, you know we kicked off the show with Ken O'Brien really just want to thank Kenny for coming on he was uh, fantastic such a great guest uh, talking about the uh, the championship games today in the NFL. Um, talking about uh, you know old times in his career and his feelings on the current Jets situation and everything, so a lot of fun with Kenny. If you want to go back and check that out, then after that we had on Pat Leonard um, from New York Daily News. Just a lot of fun talking with Pat. 
talking all the NFL stuff today, um, the championship games, like we uh, like we mentioned. We talked about the uh, the Jets and the Giants' future plans. He gave us his Super Bowl prediction. So uh, a lot of fun in that first hour. Go back and check it out if you haven't had the chance yet. Um, it, everything will be out tomorrow uh, on uh, all your uh, podcast platforms that you like to check it out. If you want to follow us on Twitter, too, just to keep up, check us out on at WGBB Sports Talk. And uh, if you want to follow the station, at WGBB Radio. And, uh, and just like if, if you've been listening to this this full hour right now, I just ended up uh, having a great talk with uh, Mets beat writer Tim Healy. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tim B. Healy. And if you want to follow Pat Leonard, too, you can follow Pat Leonard at P. Leonard NYDN, New York Daily News. So... Please uh, check that out right now, as both those guys have a lot of great things to offer to any of their audiences, especially on social media. And, uh, you know, those guys are great, so please check them out. And, uh, you know, right now, as I sit here in the studio, I see that the Chiefs have taken control of uh, this championship game, 31-15. Uh, the Bills just look like their their offense is, is sputtering. Um, it doesn't look, uh, you know, like we've seen the, the Bills drop just about 50 points <laughs> earlier this postseason. So uh, they they really have had their offense rolling like a freight train. It just could not get going today. Um, the the Chiefs are just, you know, a hell of a team, hell of a team. So they're going to be going potentially, as long as they hold on, to their second consecutive Super Bowl. And um, that's going to be a lot of fun to see Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, this time not competing in an AFC championship game like they did a couple of years ago. They're going to be competing in a Super Bowl on the grandest stage of them all. So going to be a real interesting uh, thing to, to take a look at uh, the Super Bowl now with one of the greatest of all time, probably the greatest of all time in Tom Brady, going up against the best up-and-coming uh, quarterback around right now, Patrick Mahomes. As uh, everybody knows, he's established himself. Now the Chiefs this year, just being in this game alone, uh, have, are, are appearing in their third consecutive AFC title game appearance. So they already have proven far, you know, beyond a doubt that they're one of the elite teams in the league and have been for quite a few years now. And, um, you know, Coach Andy Reid, you couldn't be more happy for, for, for Andy Reid as uh, this is a guy who just seemed to be snake-bitten in championship games in the past. It seemed like it even followed him to Kansas City at first as Kansas City – Got to the title game a couple of years ago. They lost. They would have got there if it wasn't for D. Ford. Like we talked to uh, to Pat Leonard, he he mentioned that earlier uh, in in the show last hour. He he mentioned how uh, you know just him flinching, uh, D. Ford that is uh, really cost them potentially if they win today three straight Super Bowl appearances, which would be the first time that's happened in a long time. Um, they. It would, at least since the 90s when the uh, Bills did it. Uh, the, the Bills went to four straight. No teams appeared in three straight since then. The Patriots have appeared in two out of three and three out of four and back-to-back, but they've never done three straight uh, in, in, in this run. So uh, a lot of fun things to think about. If, if you want to give me a call right now, uh, I'm, I'm just going to be uh, chatting with you for the next half hour or so. No guests for, for, this, uh, for this part. So if you want to give me a ring, you could call me up at 516 516- Six two three twelve forty. That's five one six six two three twelve forty. Give me your thoughts about Championship Sunday, the Mets, the Yankees, anything else you've got in your mind. Would love to hear it. Um, you know, I just had the uh, the Ranger game on early too. I'm going back and forth here 
in the WGBB, uh, the WGBB studios as the Rangers just took a, a tough loss, 3-2 to two against uh, Pittsburgh. Um, you know, their up-and-down start to the season continues as they lost 3-2. A late goal, under two minutes remaining in the uh, game. It's like a flashback to a year or two ago when the Rangers had that happening all the time. But, you know, the Rangers have a very young team and a team that, um, you know, they have 20, they have guys, that uh, seven guys on the roster that are 22 and under. They actually had eight of them dressed tonight as they had Colin Blackwell make his um, NHL debut, and he came out and scored uh, the first game of the uh, of the, ev- uh, the the first goal of the evening, but the, putting the Rangers up one nothing. Um, he, he put that in the back of the net from Fox and Howden, and um, you know they they really looked good um, early in the game. They were flying, so you know you had eight guys twenty two and under on this team right now. Um, you know, especially with, with with the two rookies in there. Well, actually three if you include Igor Shesterkin for the Rangers in goal. Because he still retains his rookie status, even though he only because he, he only played in 12 games last year, um, so he's still a rookie. You got, you know, well, you know one of the most well-known rookies in Lafreniere playing. Then you have Keandre Miller now now Blackwell in there. So you actually have four rookies. <laughs> they just keep multiplying. You know, you got another 19-year-old kid in Kako. Um, it, it's it, you know, the oldest of them is Shesterkin, who's 24 and he's only played 13 NHL games now. So, this is a team that's really going to have to take time to round it to form. You know, last year, remember, this this was a, not a playoff team for the first 40 games of the NHL season last year until they finally started committing to defense and finally started coming together, and then it all came together when they brought up Igor in January and went on that 10-2 and run. And, um, you know, that's something that the, the Rangers really have to learn from uh, they get really lazy defensively sometimes, and you know this type of thing happens where you allow a, a a very late goal. You should have at least been able to take this game to overtime, and get and get a victory out of it. Uh, you know when you look on the other side of town, uh, you know you have one of the better teams in hockey, the the Islanders to, to look at, and you know the 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 Rangers as such a young team, you have to learn to play defense like that. Sure. The Islanders went out and lost 2 nothing today to the Devils. They didn't have a good day. But the Islanders are a very good team. Uh, you know, definitely a Stanley Cup contender. Definitely one of the more defensively responsive team, uh, you know, responsible teams in hockey. And to, to think that, um, you know, the Rangers can play this high brand of skill hockey and, and win and, and win at a constant, you know, pace. It's it's very tough to do that. Very tough to do that. You you have to play defensive, and a responsible brand of hockey to win in this league, and it's something that took. Look at the Capitals. Um, they had such great teams for so long. It took that team until they finally hired Barry Trotz. Not coincidentally, the Islanders' head coach currently, to come in and teach that team everything that they know about hockey throughout the window. Everything starts with defense. Play defense, and the offense will come, and you will win. When you have offensively skilled players, you have to hammer defense into them. And that's what Barry Trotz did in Washington, and that's what Barry Trotz did in um, in New York too, with, with with the Islanders. That's why the Islanders weren't hurt that much 
from the loss of John Tavares going to Toronto. Because Barry Trotz is able to come in and say, I don't care about a big-time, you know, goal-scoring center that doesn't play defense and, you know, doesn't get back and isn't defensively responsible. And, you know, John Tavares is obviously a good player. But the Islanders probably lucked out letting him walk because letting him take up that much money in a cat world and, you know, not playing defensively or defensive hockey, you know, I, I'm sure, though, if Barry Trotz coached him, he would have get him to he would have got him to buy in eventually. He he did for Ovechkin, but it takes time. And um, right now, I mean, as as you see in Toronto right now, he's still they they're not you know winning so much more than the Islanders. The Islanders went and played to Game Six of the of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. That's as that's pretty much as far as you can go without actually getting to the Stanley Cup Final. Okay, they could have pushed it one more game further to Game Seven, but they lost in overtime in Game Six. So, you know, the the Islanders are still one of the the teams in hockey that, that you look at that you say, okay, that team has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. The Rangers aren't that yet, but they can be with the amount of talent they have, and you know, a, a lot of Rangers fans too are hating on head coach David Quinn for the way he's been handling the lineup, um, the way that, you know, have they been using Jack Johnson. Oh, man, and you can't hear Rangers fans complain enough about Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson. Look, I'm not a fan of Jack Johnson, uh, but I also don't think Jack Johnson is the worst thing in the world. The guy is, you know, a decent NHL player at this time. Is he better than Brendan Smith? I don't know. I don't know. That's a close one. I'd probably rather have the... Um, mean streak of Brendan Smith in the lineup at this point over the uh, supposed defense of uh, of Jack Johnson, but he hasn't looked too great on the penalty kill to me so far. He's getting a lot of his time on the penalty kill, um, so I just got to hope that he uh, he keeps playing uh, or, or he keeps getting better because right now he doesn't look that great, but I'm not killing him yet either. But Brendan Smith also, too, he's had one good one good game, one bad game so far. So you just got to kind of hope that he figures his game out too. One thing two people really have to keep in mind about these early NHL games. I mean, you have one game where the Islanders look like world beaters. You have one game where the Islanders, you know, they beat the Rangers 4 nothing, they lose 5 nothing to the Rangers. And it's the same thing with the Rangers. The Rangers go out there, they blow the doors off the Islanders after looking terrible on opening night. They go out, blow the doors off the Islanders 5 nothing. Now, Rangers fans are beside themselves, saying, I, okay, this team is going to the playoffs, they're doing this, they're doing that. And then they come out and they lay two eggs against a very good Pittsburgh team. Now, <laughs> that's frustrating as you can imagine. I mean, the you know, especially when they have, um, you know, you have the, the Rangers go out there and they build a 3-1 lead on Friday uh, it, it seems like it's a slam dunk that they're going to win, uh, you know, as long as Shesterkin holds up there. They get a break, make it 3-2. Next thing you know, it's 3-3. Then you, all of a sudden you're losing in overtime. So, okay, you take solace in the fact that you got a point. You learn from it. You try to better yourself from it. And then the next game you come out, the Rangers were up 2-1 in this game, too. Don't forget that. Then they blow that, so it's 2-2. And then with a minute left in regulation, you know, you're in a 56-game season where every single point matters, and you lose this game in this fashion. Uh, very disappointing for the Rangers. Um, it's a, you know, 
you have to finish in the top four in the division if you want to make the playoffs. And, you know, a couple weeks ago I had Dave Maloney on. Really great interview with him if you want to check that out. It's in our archives. Check it out on uh, Sports Talk um, New York, uh, WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter. You can find all your links there and everything and check it out on the uh, WGBB website. Um, you know, we have I, – I spoke to Dave Maloney, uh, you know, Rangers radio man. He's on MSG. Uh, and he was even saying that to, to be in that top four, to make the playoffs, there's definitely a road there, but it's not an easy one. As, you know, you look at the other teams in the division. I mentioned the Islanders as an elite team. Um, you have, obviously, the Philadelphia Flyers, who are one of the better teams in hockey at the moment. Um, you have, like we just mentioned, the, um, uh, what's it called? The, the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, the this is a very deep division. Uh, and to think that, um, you know, e- even the Devils, who beat the Rangers too, by the way, um, you know, the Devils are a team that, that is, you know, on the rise, especially it, it really looks like uh, Jack Hughes took this uh, the next step forward, which is what a lot of Ranger fans are hoping that we get at a Capo Caco as well. Um, but Jack Hughes looks like he's a difference maker now because he was all over the ice in the game they played against the Rangers. A, a tough 4-3 loss for the Rangers to the Devils um, last week. But, you know, man, Jack Hughes just was playing out of his mind playing great hockey, he was a, a, just a, a force to be reckoned with. He was the reason why the Devils won that game and why the Rangers were pretty much playing catch-up that entire game as well. So definitely tip of the cap to Jack Hughes as he's put on weight, put on muscle, and really made himself into a, uh, you know elite player, it looks like at this point. I mean, you know, it's not... yet, it's only a couple of games in, let's see if he can make this last through the full season, but um, it it looks like Jack Hughes has taken that next step into the upper echelon type players, and that's music to every Devils fan's ears, no doubt about it. As uh, as I do a quick check-in right now with the AFC Championship game, and the Chiefs are leading the Bills 38-21 with just over four minutes remaining in regulation. The Bills have the ball, but um, as they're down by 17, it's not looking too good right now. Um, so, uh, but thanks for choosing to listen to me here on this Sunday night. As uh, I, I really appreciate it, we've had a lot of fun tonight, and um, you know the the championship Sunday is always a great day to get on. It's one of my favorite days to do radio and to talk. To, break down football, especially with a great guy like Pat Leonard and even Ken O'Brien. What what great insight Ken O'Brien was talking to him earlier tonight. You could check that out in the archives if you'd like to. Um, but, you know, just to really, uh, we talked about one MSG team. Why not talk about the other? Boy, what a stark difference it's been in the Knicks this year as uh, they surprisingly are one of the better defensive teams in basketball. Um I really have gotten a kick out of watching the Knicks play this year. It's been uh, such a long time since I could say that. They've been such a disappointing team. But when you go out last week, and okay, they had a tough loss on a back-to-back to Sacramento on Friday night. But they went out, they hammered Boston 105-75 last Sunday. Then they come out on a back-to-back at home and beat Orlando 91-84. Then they get two days off and head to Golden State 
and pounded the Warriors 119-104. Now, is that the same Warrior team from a couple of years ago? No, no Durant there, you know, a um, couple of guys are hurt. But, you know, they still have Draymond, and they still have Steph Curry, and the Knicks still put a hurting on them. They look good. Um, R.J. Barrett looks like he's starting to round into that number three pick form. You know, we had two number three picks in the last couple of years in this uh, this league. Actually, um, actually, we had we had three. If you really think about it, because we had R.J. Barrett get picked number three, we had Sam Darnold get picked number three in in 2018, and we had Quinn Williams get picked number three in 2019. So we got a bunch of number three picks here that the fan bases of these teams are really starting to to warm up to. Now, Sam Darnold, you know, still Jet fans really don't know where they stand on him. But Quinnen Williams really rounded into, after looking like a first-year bust, a lot of people said it, um, you know, I still thought it was 21, you know, the, the kid was 21 years old. you got to give him a little bit of time, a little bit of rope, especially on a bad team where he had no help. But this year, he really looked like he rounded into a top-notch NFL defensive lineman. And it looks like on the basketball side of things, R.J. Barrett is doing the same thing as he's consistently um, dropping 20-plus points a game. He's getting a lot of rebounds. Um, He's really taking his game to the next level. R.J. Barrett is showing me that, um, you know, there's a reason why there was a lot of hype about him coming out of Duke. Um, There's a reason why R.J. Barrett was picked number three. Um, and he and he's just proving it right now. You know, one guy that's really made a big difference on this team is, um, uh, you know, the uh, what's it called? The uh, well, obviously you have the, the the head coach. It's all it all it all starts from the top, no doubt about it. You can't say anything else about it. But but Tom Thibodeau has really and this has been a little bit of a theme tonight. We've mentioned this name again that or this word again, culture, as he's really changed the Knicks culture in that locker room. Um, they they really uh, they're a gritty team. They're going for the defense. They're, they they lead in uh, in offensive rebounds. I, I I've seen before, but also when you look at a guy like um, Julian Randall or uh, Julian Julius Randall, um, he's really taking his game to the next level. And he was never really an assist guy before too. But he's averaging over six assists a game this year. He's averaging twenty plus points, ten plus rebounds. Uh, so Randall. As the, you know, he should be taking his game to the next level. He's the highest paid Nick right now. A lot of fans were hoping they they dumped him in a salary dump this year. But he's a big reason why this team is playing well right now. And, you know, you, you look at him and say to yourself, okay, uh, you know, I like what I see out of him. Alfred Payton, I think, is a guy that kind of flies under the radar a little bit. You know, we mentioned uh, RJ. Mitchell Robinson, obviously, is a defensive force. Um, now, Noel... Uh, the big um, center they got right now, he's a big defensive force too. Kevin Knox has shown a real knack for hitting the three, so I'm really, really hoping that he can round into a guy that can play a 20-plus minutes a night and be a real constant threat, at least from beyond the uh, the perimeter. Um, you, you know, the, the Knicks have a bunch of guys. that They recently signed Taj Gibson too for a, you know, a little veteran leadership in that locker room it's a very very young team um you know you have that that kid quickly they got in the first round um rivers has looked good at times uh you know burks he got hurt but he, he's looked well um and obi toppin too their number one pick for this year number eight overall pick i'm i've been a big fan with what i've seen out of obi um 
you know, they have a lot of uh, the, the Star Wars references on, their, on the Knicks Twitter and everything with Obi-Wan and Obi this, Obi that. So it's been a lot of fun for social media. It's been a lot of fun for fans to see. Um, and o- Obi Toppin, by the way, too, was one of the people, one of these kids especially, that really showed a lot against um, Golden State. And l- late in the game, his minutes started going up because he really started getting comfortable and really started making plays. So it was a lot of fun to see Obi Toppin do his thing. And, um, you know, that's uh, that's something that, that you really have to take in consideration, that Tom Thibodeau is molding these kids into good, young, defensive players. And just like I was saying about with the Rangers and the Islanders earlier, he's showing them that defensive responsibility leads to offense. Now, <laughs> When you look at the Knicks, they're definitely not one of the better offensive teams in basketball. But they're playing such good defense that their offense has been enough to be around a 500 team. Now, you know, if you would have told a Knicks fan 20 years ago um, that the Knicks would be a 500 team right now, they wouldn't be very happy about it. You know, they would definitely, you know, have to wonder what happened to turn this into just a 500 team. But if you tell the Nick fan, what, three years ago, four years ago, that this team is a 500 team, they'd probably think you were lying. Because this team has consistently won anywhere between 17 and 25 games over the last few years. They've, they, which is very, very bad when you're playing 82 game seasons. So you really have to uh, look and see that, okay, if they could keep this up, they're 8 and 9 right now. They're actually starting in a couple of minutes at 10 o'clock in Portland. And if, you know, they could keep this up right now and end up being between a 35 and 40 win team, they're going to be in playoff contention in the in the NBA. No doubt about it. The Eastern Conference is not a stacked conference like the, like the West, where you could even get teams that are over 500 missing the playoffs out in the West. In the East, usually there's a team or two that's under 500 that makes the playoffs. That could be the Knicks. Now, you're facing the number one seed, so you're, there's a pretty good chance you're going to have a quick exit. But you know what? I think just like the Rangers this uh, th- th- this past summer, where you had a lot of these young guys, Kako, Fox, um, you know, a lot of these young guys, even Chess Jerkin gotten for, for, you know, for a game. When you see these kids getting a shot in the playoffs, it, it takes it up a notch. It, it, it lets them know. What's on the other side? It's no longer a mystery. Oh, gee, what's it going to be like when I play my first playoff game? What's it going to be like when I do this or that? They've already experienced it. So now you get those nerves out of the way. They've got their first playoff game. They know what it feels like. They know what it smells like. They know what it's been like. Uh, the only thing different, especially for the Rangers, is that there's, hopefully the next time they make the playoffs there's going to be fans in the stands. Um, but, you know, w- with the Knicks, it all comes down to just making sure that they're defensively responsible, and if they make, if they do have a chance to make the playoffs this year with this very, very young squad, uh, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And it might be a blowout in that first round. Or who knows? It could be one of those rounds where, you know, who, who knows who the number one seed in the East is going to be. Uh, maybe it'll be the Nets. Maybe it'll be a Knicks-Nets first round 1-8 matchup, which uh, really, you know, the last time those two teams met in the playoffs, it was a, uh, it was a Nets sweep. Um, that was another Knicks under 500 team that made the playoffs in 2004. 
Um, they had a one, two, three, four <laughs> sweep, exit, bye bye, out the door in the uh, the first round of the playoffs that year. But uh, the Knicks were in a different spot back then. It, it was that that was more of an older team um, that was just trying to add a big star and get themselves to the playoffs and take that that next step and everything. But this is completely different. This is a young team that really just wants to, um, you know, get themselves to, to, to make their mark and make their name and get in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, if, if they could have a, a big-time series with the, with you know, with the Nets right now, um, that would be a, a lot of fun. It might not be a lot of competition because, you know, you've got uh, three really great players over there in Brooklyn as the Nets went out and just recently acquired Harden. Uh, they stuck him with Kyrie, who was who was a big factor in the Nets' comeback win the other night, and uh, Kevin Durant, obviously, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack when it comes to the Nets. Um, well, that's one thing I'm keeping my eye on. I mean, I don't know. Boston could be the number one seed. Uh, th- there could be a lot of different number one seeds in the East right now, but um, I think it, it, the Nets are at least a decent shot, and it would be a lot of fun to see a uh, Knicks-Nets playoff game for the first time, or, or, or p- playoff series, I'm sorry, for the first time since 2004. I mean, we haven't seen a Rangers-Islanders playoff series since 1994, so it would be nice to start seeing some of the uh, the the teams around here start meeting in the playoffs again. Who knows, maybe a couple of years down the line we'll have another Subway series. Um, you know, it only took 50 years last time, Maybe it'll take a little bit less than that this time around. So, uh, you know, we went from with the Dodgers and the Yankees meeting in 56 in the World Series to the Mets and the Yankees meeting in 2000. So, okay, it was 44 years, a little less than 50. So, who knows? It's, it's been 20 already, so we're halfway there. Hopefully uh, <laughs> hopefully they could change that sooner than, uh, r- rather than later because uh, God knows the, the Mets need a break. And, and the Yankees do, too. The Yankees haven't been to a World Series since 2009. The Mets since 2015. But uh, the Yankees won that World Series in 2009, whereas the Mets haven't won one since 1986. And, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just want to thank you for sticking around here with me on this Sunday night as um, I had a lot of fun here on Sports Talk New York, uh, talking to a, uh, you know, a lot of guys tonight. Uh, Kenny O'Brien calling in at 8 o'clock. Thank you so much. Pat Leonard calling in after that. Thank you so much talking football with him. Uh, Tim Healy, thank you so much giving a call in. It's like I said earlier, if you want to follow those guys on Twitter, you can follow Pat Leonard at P. Leonard, uh, New York Daily News, NYDN. So please follow him. Check him out for all your NFL updates. And Tim B. Healy at Tim B. Healy on Twitter. Check them out. You can check me out too at Kramer New York, my last name, C R A M E R. NY. Check me out there. And also on Twitter, check out this great show, Sports Talk New York, at WGBB Sports Talk. Thanks to Brian behind the glass for being the best in the biz and helping me out today. Thanks to Rob Cowell for having me on tonight. And thanks to everybody for listening and coming on the show tonight. I'll catch you next time. Enjoy the Super Bowl. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.